following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Good morning. Our scripture reading is from Psalm 27, verses 1 through 3 and 10 through 14, and it can be found in your pew Bibles on page 437. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. If my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Teach me your ways, O Lord and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Do not give me up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they are breathing out violence. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Good morning, Hara. Next reading today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 19, uh, verses 25 through 27. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clovis, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own home. I want to start today and spend a little bit of time offering a few words uh, in memory of a person who is very important in my life, and actually a person who is very important in the life of Artisan Church as well, even though most of you have never met him. Uh, his name was Dick Luco, and he died last month, one day before his 71st birthday. And I was grateful to be able to get to Chicago yesterday for his memorial service. When Artisan Church was founded in 2005, um, Dick was the superintendent of the Great Lakes Conference, which is our region of the Evangelical Covenant Church, which is the denomination we are in the process of separating from. So you can already begin to see how complicated this is. Um, by the way, you may be interested to know that that separation will become official when the, when the denomination's delegates vote to accept uh, that at the end of this month at their annual meeting. Um, and we'll talk more about that at our annual meeting as well. So if, you have, uh, if you've been waiting for an update about that, you'll get it on that night. Um, but in 2005, when we started the church, it was Dick's job to provide uh, care and direction for all of the churches in the Great Lakes Conference. And so I first came to know him at some conference events uh, where he was, you know, because he was the superintendent, he was introduced to all of the founding pastors at Artisan Church. There were four of us who founded this church in 2005. And uh, right away, I liked him. I could tell that he was smart and funny and that he didn't have too much of a filter. 
Uh, and at least in that respect, if not in the others, we shared something in common. <laughs> you know, and in a setting like a, like a church conference, I don't know how many of you all have been to church conferences, but this is a setting where almost everybody, and probably especially the top leader, is pretending to be a version of themselves. And at this meeting, Dick seemed very real to me. He seemed, like, refreshingly unpolished. And he was also pretty sarcastic, which for me is like an instant connection with a person. <laughs> but most importantly, I could tell immediately that he loved the church and he loved pastors. He had been a pastor himself and uh, he loved the church and he loved pastors. And he also, over the years, told me many, many times that he loved Rochester, that Rochester was, Artisan was his favorite church to come visit because he loved Rochester the best out of all the cities. Um, it's possible that he said that to everybody. <laughs> but sometimes Dick's job was to walk into difficult situations. All right, so when, when an unresolvable conflict happens in a church, it's the superintendent who's called. And in Artisan's early days, he helped us through some difficult situations. Um, helped us navigate some of the problems we were facing as a young church being led by four young people who thought they knew everything and who really actually knew very little. And then later, after our staffing structure changed and I became the senior pastor, which is a term I still kind of re reject because I don't feel like a senior, um, I, then I really didn't know what I was doing because I was sort of like the, the person who was in charge here at, on the pastoral level and I, I needed help many times and I, I always knew that I could um, reach out and Dick would help me through those challenges. But it wasn't long after we made our staffing change that the denomination also made a staffing change and, and Dick Luco was promoted, although he to his dying day did not consider this a promotion, um, to a national position within the denomination. And part of his job in that new role was to work with, or maybe it would be better to say deal with, churches that were pushing the boundaries of denominational policy and statements about human sexuality. And so, starting in 2015... Dick's relationship to Artisan Church and to me as its pastor became more complicated. And in some ways it became uh, painful. Not only because of what was happening here, but because of what was happening in other churches and with other pastors, people who I consider some of my closest colleagues and friends. And this was a pretty difficult time for me because um, in some cases it was Dick Luco's signature that was at the bottom of a letter that removed someone's ordination. Uh, or a church's standing in the denomination. It was a difficult time for me. It was also a very confusing time for me because in every single case, I could still see those characteristics that I'd noticed in him the first night that I met him, which is that he still loved the church and he still loved pastors and he did not enjoy that part of his job. He loved even the pastors and churches that he was causing some pain to. 
And in every conversation I ever had with him, he showed me nothing but respect and kindness. And he never lost his sense of humor. (laughs) In fact, one of my favorite moments with Dick was when he had to come to Rochester to visit Artisan because we had, we had passed our in- inclusion statement, our first version of LGBTQ inclusion statement. And he was there on behalf of the denomination saying like, hey, um, what are we going to do here, right? And we started the meeting by having everybody on our leadership team go around the room and share their name and what they did in the world and what they did at the church. And it was like... You know, I'm so-and-so, I'm a professor of, you know, biology at the University of Rochester. I'm so-and-so, I'm a senior software engineer. I'm so-and-so, I'm a MD, PhD candidate. You know some of these people. <laughs> we went all the way around the room. And uh, Dick and, and the person he was with, Garth, um, were listening to all these things. And, and Dick said, Garth, I think we'd better leave. These people are way too smart for us. <laughs> um, which actually did sort of diffuse the tension in the room a little bit, um, although it didn't make what was to follow any easier. In his later years, he had to retire from that demanding job at the Covenant National Offices, and he was able to return for a brief time to the job that he always loved best, which was just regular pastor. And um, I'm happy to tell you, although it does not heal every wound, that Dick had a change of heart when it came to LGBTQ inclusion in the church. And he began to express support for some of the same pastors and churches whose disciplinary orders he had signed earlier in his career. And as far as I know, his last public act within our soon-to-be former denomination uh, was to appear as the official advocate alongside... Uh, my friend Micah, who's a pastor in St. Paul who had been suspended and was called to a disciplinary hearing because he officiated a, a, a wedding for a gay couple in his church. And Dick told Micah, I know it hasn't always been great, our relationship, but I am for you and with you, and I would, I would, if you asked me to be your advocate in that meeting, I would say yes, and Micah asked him to be his advocate in that meeting, and so Dick went with him into that meeting. I regret, and I know that Dick also regret, regretted that he had very, you know, he had, he had little strength left at this point in his life to do much more than that last act. Um, because he was a widely respected voice in the denomination, and there's no telling what might have happened, what could have gone better um, if he'd been given another healthy decade. Um, <clears throat> In, uh, this, this is the part that's hard for me to say, so bear with me. In every one of his calls or texts, te- texts, how do you say texts when you're getting choked up? <laughs> and in his last face-to-face conversation with me when I was able to visit him in January, um, Dick never failed to tell me that he loved me. that he was praying for me, 
and for you. Um, for Artisan Church. He was with us and for us too, in the end. And in the beginning. And probably in the middle in ways that I, I might not be able to understand yet. So at the funeral yesterday, all of the uh, covenant pastors were wearing Hawaiian shirts and their um, clerical stoles. Um, apparently it was Dick's final wish <laughs> that all of his friends and colleagues honored him in this way by um, rocking the terrible fashion sense that he rocked throughout his life. <laughs> um, I resigned my ordination credential voluntarily in December 31st of last year, and so regrettably I did not get the memo. And so, no, there are no photographs of me <laughs> in a Hawaiian shirt. I actually think this is probably Dick's way of reminding us not to take ourselves so damn seriously all the time. Um, I'll never forget the time... <laughs> at a denominational gathering where I, I was sharing with him, this was in one of those kind of um, mentor-pastor roles, I, I was sharing with him that I had felt kind of down. I, I had walked into a meeting of some of my colleagues, um, and I really felt like that they were deliberately, deliberately ostracizing me in that meeting. And Dick had this way of like cutting right through to the middle of what was going on in your mind and heart in a way that was really not as hurtful as it probably would be if a lot of other people did it. And what he said to me was, you know, Scott, I have found over the years that other people hardly ever think about me as much as I do. He used words that sounded like he was talking about himself, but he was talking about me. And I've repeated that a lot of times. I've never been able to say it to anybody else the way he said it to me, but I aspire to. Anyway, um, above and beyond the Hawaiian shirts, I think it was Dick's more serious final wish that the church that he loved, and here I mean church with a capital C, not this church, not this denomination, but the church that he loved, all of the people of Jesus, would grow in its love for other people and for each other. And in this way, um, he was doing what every pastor is supposed to do, which is representing Jesus to us. As a complicated person who didn't always get everything right, who had regrets about some of the things at the end, I trust we all will. He was representing Jesus to us because he wanted his church to love each other and love others well. And uh, as I was sitting in that church in Chicago, pondering Dick's final thoughts and words and wishes for, for the church, I couldn't help but think about today's gospel reading, which I, you may remember I already postponed from uh, Memorial Day weekend, I think it was. Um, but I knew I was going to talk about it today, and I couldn't help but see the connections bet between D 
stick representing Jesus in his death and Jesus connecting with the people who he loved in his death. Today's gospel reading, as you just heard, is is the story of Jesus offering some final words to the people he loved most in the world, to his mother and to... It's John. You know it's John, right? (laughs) You know when um, John says, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he's talking about himself? (laughs) Right? So... um, I'm, I'm, this is my moment, and I blew it, Brian. I'm sorry. Brian designed this graphic, and he made another version of it with those, like, um, you know the deal-with-it meme, like the 8-bit sunglasses? <laughs> and my, it was supposed to be when I got to this point, um, switching the graphics so that you see John up there with the, the deal-with-it 8-bit sunglasses, because he always refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is the, like, the, that's a biblical-level humble brag, Right? You can tell a lot about the authors of the books of the Bible um, and what their intent was in writing their book by looking at which parts of the story they include and where. So the beginning and the end are like big important parts of a book, right? Um, Hopefully you have some cliffhangers in the middle too. But this is a moment right at the end when we get a chance to see what is it that John specifically, as a gospel writer, one of four that we have in our Bibles, what is it that he specifically wanted us to see and know? Um, I came across this quotation this week when studying for this passage by St. Ambrose who said, Mary, the mother of the Lord, stood by her son's cross No one has taught me this but the holy evangelist John. Others have related how the earth was shaken at the Lord's passion. The sky was covered with darkness. The sun withdrew itself. And how the thief was, after a faithful confession, received into paradise. John tells us what the others have not told. How the Lord, while fixed on the cross, called to his mother... So you see, I think that when you look at these, you know, the big movements in the story, you can see what is, what is this writer trying to tell us? And I think what John is trying to tell us, and it's consistent with what he says all throughout the rest of the gospel and in his letters especially, is that God is love. That Jesus, as the perfect representation of God, wants not only to love people, but wants people to love each other. And so he says to his mother, here's your son. And to his friend, here's your mother. It's Jesus' dying wish that the people who loved him and whom he loved would love each other. And not just love each other, I think, in the way that you might get a definition from pop culture, you know. Um, It's not about warm feelings, necessarily. It's not about um, buying somebody a birthday drink or all the different things that we do to show our love. It's not that they're unimportant. But what Jesus 
was saying in that moment was that the love he wanted his friends and his family to extend to each other was the, the love of a family. We started the service today with a reading from the book of Psalms that reminds us that even if my mother and father forsake me, God does not forsake me. And I know that so many of you, we've heard hints of it even in the prayers today, so many of you have experienced rejection or a woefully insufficient version of love from your families, from your moms and dads, from your siblings. I think this is one of the many ways that the LGBTQ family that we have with us is able to teach us something about what love is because so many of you have had to choose your own family. Right? The phrase chosen family was new to me until um, one of our gay members explained to me what it was. And it's that when your family rejects you, you can choose new people to be your family. What if the church, what if the church, instead of being another source of rejection for so many people, and here it's beyond, it's not just LGBTQ people who the church tends to reject, although they are, um, I don't need to tell you, probably the prime example right now. What if the church, instead of being another source of rejection, was instead another version of the chosen family? There's nothing that has ever warmed my heart in ministry more than hearing the sentiment that some of you have expressed today, which is that you have found something like that here at Artisan. And I think it's our calling as a church to keep doing that, but to, to, to do it even more broadly for even more people. Because this is, this is part of human nature, I think. But just, just when we learn to love somebody who we had trouble loving before, there's another person or group of people who we realize we're not loving well. And I think it would be a beautiful thing if we imagined Jesus. And for me, sometimes it's easier to imagine, you know, Dick Luco or somebody like that, because it's closer to me. They're closer to me. It's, it, if we could imagine Jesus or those other people who represent Jesus for us, though imperfectly, expressing their dying wish that we would love each other like family loves family, then all we have to do is broaden our definition of family <laughs> and of who needs love. I want to conclude by inviting you to an imaginative exercise. So if you're a person who um, benefits from closing your eyes or by slackening your gaze, you can do that. But I think um, it would be good for all of us to imagine ourselves standing at the foot of the cross of Jesus. In this story, the, there were other people there, but the two key players were John and Mary. So if you were one of those key players, who, who would be there next to you? Who from your life 
or your sphere would be there next to you. You know, when, when Jesus looks down and sees the two of you and says, here's your mother, here's your son. Maybe it's a different role. So think about who the person would be, but also think about what role Jesus would assign you in that person's life. He might not say, woman, here's your son. He might say, you know, here's your fill in the blank. And then because it was a two-way street, what would Jesus ask the other person to be to you? Because let's be honest, it's sometimes harder to receive that kind of radical change and love than it is to extend it to someone else. What would Jesus ask another person to be in your life? And could you accept it? What would you say or do in response to that new assignment that Jesus gives you? As you're still thinking about that, and I hope it will continue to percolate for you this week, um, I'm going to invite you to take communion together now if you'd like. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.